0: i going to have a word of prayer, and then I'll share with you what I've been thinking about. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for these great folks. Um, man, it's such an honor to stand in front of them today and to be able to share uh, just basically what you've been talking to me about and, and, and to kind of look at your word and, and figure out how it applies to our lives. And Lord, for that to be amazing, um, we, we need to be able to talk directly with you, all of us. And so... Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come and be part of our conversation. For some of us, that's a really weird thing to think about, but Lord, we know you do it time after time after time and time, and so Lord, you you speak directly to us, and so I pray that you would do that incredible thing that you do, where you take a word like this, and you pour it directly into our lives as individuals, and we end up leaving here with a full understanding of a God who cares deeply for us and is involved in our lives. So, hide me deep in your cross. Holy Spirit, feel free to move in your name, Amen. <clears throat> We've been studying this dude, uh, guy named King da- King David, or just David, I guess. And uh, he wrote Psalm one thirty nine. He wrote a lot of stuff in, in the Old Testament, but he he wrote Psalm one thirty nine. And David, um, even if he's like, if you take him out of the Bible and just like do like a autobiography of him or biography of him, he has this amazing life. I mean, he'd be a historical figure that we'd say. Like, wow that 's something I would like to know more about and, and i 'll tell you part of that is because he was this uh, shepherd boy, w- which is one thing, and then, as a little kid, he ends up uh, you know slaying this giant, so that 's something, and then he becomes the second king of israel, so, so that 's something so and he becomes a warrior, he becomes a father and a husband, and then he 's called a man after god 's own heart. But, you know, the, the, the news medias would go nuts over kind of the shadow side of who David is or who David was. Um, you know, everything from he had an affair that he wanted to cover up, so he had, like, the woman he had the affair, you know, he had her husband killed, who actually happened to be his best friend, um, and, and they lost a baby. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff in David's life that are amazing, and yet Scripture calls him this man after God's own heart. It's almost like in the middle of the Old Covenant, uh, Old Testament, the New Testament covenant with Jesus is, is revealed in this one dude's life. And so that's kind of amazing. And and so we've been studying Psalm 139, and Psalm 139 deals with a pretty weighty question that is relevant uh, to our day and age, to to Tom's life in April and your life. And the the weighty question is this, what's faith look like when life falls apart? Because it's one thing for us to kind of have this moment where we're all... <clears throat> excuse me, we have this moment where we're all like everything's going great, and everything on a Sunday morning, but what does it actually look like when life has actually fallen apart and and things actually haven't been going great? So no more snow job, if you will. You know, does this really work or not? You know, is this something that just Christians do when we're feeling great? Or, but what about when life isn't so great? And last week I called these moments When life falls apart, I call them these game changers is kind of what I referred to them. So forever the the rest of our lives, they'll be defined as what happened before this event and then what happened after. And the one thing that happens in the middle of these game changing type events is all the veneers of who we are are sort of peeled back. There's no more plastic artificial parts to us because we're so broken, so hurt that reality just comes out. This is just who we are. And in those moments when, when life does fall apart, we discover two hard lessons of life. And, and the first lesson is this, we discover what it is that we really actually put our faith in. We discover you know, what it is that we're really putting our faith in. No more like this is what I'm supposed to say because Jesus is the right answer kind of answers. But, but this is where we discover really what we're putting our faith in. And here's the second big one. Then we discover whether or not it works. So when the wheels fall off and life is incredibly difficult, you fill in the blank, whatever it might be, divorce, a betrayal, a loss, a grief, an addiction, whatever, uh, uh, unemployment, whatever, you find the answer to these two questions, and that's a pretty big deal. So today what I want to do is I want to take Psalm 139, and I want to try to take it from a perspective that maybe you've never heard it taught before. And, um, and, and I'll explain to you what I mean. Here, here's the first verse of Psalm 139 that you probably are familiar with. It says this. And if you would, just read the words in yellow with me. So, O Lord, you have searched and Now, so searched, the e the E-D, you know, like it's hard. And then the known is like happened to go. So it, it's difficult to discuss chronological tenses in Hebrew. So I, I don't want to go that far. But it is referencing to some prior and previous knowledge that God has about David. Do you follow that with those two words? This is kind of something that God knows. This has happened. Now, unlike most Bible stories, when you read a psalm or a song, it's like a hymn book, we don't have the context for why that thing was written. We don't know what happened in David's life to cause him to say, oh, I'm going to sit down and write. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. So we have to kind of figure that out. And I got to thinking this week, is it possible that we've actually interpreted this one way, but it could be interpreted a second way? So so, so let me tell you what I mean. The first way is the most common way. And just for clarity, I still think the first way is probably the right way, but but let's stay with me. So you have searched me and known me. And what he's saying is this, I need you in my life. You have searched this, you've known it. I need you to work all things together for good in my life. So continue your work in here. But the second way that we could interpret these verses, and I'm going to tell you why at the end of the message, but the second way you can interpret these verses is more disturbing. What if David is actually writing this and he's upset at God? So it's not like, oh God, you have searched me and known me. What if it is, you searched me, you've known me, What if David has experienced this kind of game-changing moment? There's nothing that's going to surprise you about the corporation of Tom, because you've been all through it. You know it. No surprises. This is just good old Tom here. This is just good old David. It could be that David was actually just had this grievous error in his life, or maybe he's made a mistake, or pulled some kind of bonehead play, or maybe just committed some deep sin, and Maybe just experience some kind of game changer. And if this is the context that he's writing this, then what he's saying is totally different. What he's actually saying to God is, I told you so. What he's actually saying to God is, You've searched me and you've known me and I just messed my life up. I knew this would happen. I told you this would happen. Follow? What if that's where he's coming from? Because we know from David's life there were plenty of opportunities for him to write this psalm. You saw what I did with Bathsheba. No surprise there. You've known my thoughts all along. You knew I had a problem. I invited her over. I slept with her, even though she was my best friend's wife. No surprise to you because you've known it all. You saw what I did to Uriah. He's my best friend. I tried to fool him, I tried to deceive him and deceive everyone else in the kingdom. He wouldn't play, so I actually sent him to the front of the military thing, had the troops pull back, and the dude's dude's gone. You've known that was in me from the very beginning. You know how many people I've killed on battlefields. In fact, my hands are so bloody that when I asked you if I could build your temple, you said no, because my hands were too bloody. On top of all this, I stink as a husband, and I'm a horrible father, and my kids are all jacked up. And David's like, but no surprise to you, this is who I am. I told you. Psalm verse 2, 139 verse 2. Now the whole thing turns. You know when I'm sitting, you know when I'm standing, you know when I, my thoughts before I even think them. This isn't a surprise to you. There's no hiding. You know I was going to, the dark thoughts I had before any of this. You search out my path, my lying down, I'm acquainted with all my ways. You know where I'm going, where I'm sleeping and who I'm sleeping with. God, you know it all. Open book to you. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. So God, you know if I'm going to like cuss, lie, cheat, blaspheme, you know before I even say anything. And if, that's, if this is the context, then this verse means something different. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. So normally we'd say it's like a protection thing, but in this context, it'd be more like a smothering thing. You're always around me, Lord. You always see what's going on. You know everything. You've searched me and you've known me. You know what I I say. You know when I'm lying down. You know when I rise. You know everything. You're always around. Kind of like a little kid who won't leave you alone, little sibling. And then this is the verse that's kind of controversial. It could kind of shoot this whole thing to pot. But such knowledge, he says, is too wonderful for me. It's so high, I cannot attain it. The problem we have is the translators assumed the context for this psalm. This word can actually be translated and is translated in Scripture remarkable or incomprehensible. It's not like the wonderful world of Disney. It's like, this is un- unknown to me. This is remarkable. I can't even comprehend this. Your knowledge of me, I can't comprehend. It's so high, I can't even think about it. you searched me and known me. And all this leads me to the question I want to go after this morning. Have you ever wished that you could hide from God? Maybe just part of you. You know, maybe you don't want to hide everything. But have you ever wished that God has not searched you and known you? You ever wished like he wasn't always like hemming you in in the front and behind you ever wish that he didn't know the word before you said it? You ever wish that like there's just like a thought or an idea or a lust or a passion that God like couldn't see into that area of who you are? You ever wish you could hide like browser history or alcohol intake or the moment you lost it and flew off the handle on the way to church this morning? You ever wish that? How about this? Has anybody else ever driven down the road and had such a perverse and dark thought invade your mind that it rattles you? And you kind of like, because I've had this happen to me and maybe it's my problem, but I can just kind of find myself actually shaking my head like by mistake I picked up something in the car and I got to get rid of that. You think, man, I don't ever want that to go out public. You ever talk about someone and then leave the conversation and hope no one finds out what you just said? Me neither, but I've read about that, and I've read about people like that. (laughs) Yeah. You ever send a text to the wrong person? Me neither. You ever want to unsend an email? (laughs) Yeah. Well, if if you ever felt like any of that, if you ever felt like there's a part of you that you really wish you could hide from God, then I think those areas we deal with in one of two ways. See if you agree with me. So if there's a thought or a behavior or something going on in me that is, is something not pleasing, or, or maybe a good way to say it about this, have you ever thought about something that you would do if you knew no one would ever find out? And so if you've ever had a moment like that, ever had a thought like that, I, I think kind of this is kind of two things that we kind of work it in our minds. First, what we figure in that moment is, well, this is Tom, this is who he is, but you has got this little private area over here, then what I'm saying is what God says is true isn't actually true for me. It might be true for you people, but not true for me. Kind of like God's the kind, grandfatherly kind, he kinda of winks at your little screw up, and oh, it's okay. The other thing that I think we do is this. We kind of have this moment, we got life going together, marriage is going good, we're in church, well, shoot, we even served in children's ministry for a little bit, and we gave some money to plate and all this kinds of stuff, and there's this one little area. Well, God's got bigger fish to fry. Why would you want to worry about me in this one thing, this one area I want to hide? Now, if any of that rings as true for you, what I, what I need to tell you is this. You are so not alone. In fact, you're surrounded by people who are thinking the same thing you're thinking within reason if any of that's ringing is true this is actually one of the oldest stories in all of humanity it's actually one of the oldest stories in scripture just the 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 library of scripture it's one of the oldest stories in there i could argue that the entire scripture is actually the story of people trying to hide or hide something, or hide part of themselves. There's a story in the New Testament about this man and his wife who came and wanted to give money to the church, which is a great thing. But they came and, sorry, I just added they came and gave money to the church, but they lied about the money. They were hiding. And this is throughout the page. Moses wanted to hide what he did to the Egyptian soldier. And of course, the very beginning... Adam and Eve get this whole thing started. And they find themselves in this Garden of Eden, which is basically everything they want or need, and everything is perfect. Their only assignment they have is to create this culture in this perfect environment they're, they're in. And God said, This is my gift to you. All you have to do is just trust me. You know how long that lasted? Half a chapter. Way to go. Half a chapter. It lasted half a chapter. Adam and Eve chose something different than what God, than God and what God wanted. And this is how the thing played out after that took place. They chose something different than the scriptures say. Now watch for this word here. They hid, their eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths. The man and his wife hid, first time the words ever in scripture first time we're not even out of chapter two we're in chapter three right now of the whole library of scripture and what does our what do we do we're hiding they hid themselves from the presence of the lord god so what what are the true colors of adam and eve at this point in their journey Let me ask you, what are your true colors when you feel like there's something you're supposed to hide from God or hide from people you love? What, what are those true colors? Would you Would you allow me to say, I, w- I think maybe the true colors should be camo at that point. Now, some of you, I've just touched a spot you've never had touched in church before. Like, man, that's good preaching. He said camo. You know, and I, I, I get it. I get it. So, so let me see if I can understand camo here for our discussion. So, h- how about this? See, camo is what we put on when we want to hide and we want to go undetected. Fair? All you hunters, are you with me? That's kind of what we do. Well, that's exactly what these people are up to, and respectfully, it's probably what you and I do. They they were went from naked and ashamed to hiding and, and embarrassed. <laughs> They went from complete oneness with God and oneness with each other to shame and separation from God. Have you ever played hide and seek with kids? I mean little ones. You know, like still carrying a load, kind of little ones, you know what I'm talking about little, little ones. Now, if you played hide and seek with them, you here's one thing you know they're terrible at it. See, when I first learned this lesson, I thought, I'm really good at this. I mean, I have a gift. You know, maybe this is what God wants me to do. But but what I realized was I wasn't that good at it. It's just the kids were terrible at it. I used to think something was wrong with our kids when they were little. Because I would count to 10. And they would waddle off. And the reason I use waddles because they're carrying a diaper. And you know there's something going on back there. And So they would waddle off somewhere to go hide. Everybody with me? They would go to try to hide from me. And they're hiding somewhere. So I'd go count to 10, ready or not, here I come, and I'd come walking in the room. Well, there's my, I'm not supposed to say dumb kid, but there's my kid laying on the couch with a pillow over his head. <laughs> the girls were smarter because I would say, ready or not, here I come, and then I'd walk into the living room, and there they are standing behind the curtain. <laughs> you see, you got legs up to your armpits like your mama. I mean, I can see you standing right there. And on top of that, I'd talk to them. Ready or not, here I come. Are you in the garbage can? No, I'm on the couch. (laughs) Lay in bed at night with Lisa. I said, honey, I think something might be wrong with the children. (laughs) Check this out because it's almost like God is playing hide and seek with little kids genesis chapter 3 the lord called to the man ready not here i come where are you the man answers i heard the sound of you in the garden i was afraid because i was naked and i myself jesus god said who told you you were naked have you eaten from the tree that i commanded you not to eat the man said, well, it was that woman. You thought it started in your home. Uh-uh, it started right there in the Bible. That's where it started. That's that woman you gave to be with me. Did I mention you gave her to me? It wasn't even my idea. That was your idea right there, God. She gave me fruit from the tree, and so I ate it. The Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? For our language to be, What's up? And the woman said, well, it was that snake. The snake tricked me, and I ate it. Four questions God asked in this whole exchange. Where are you? Who told you? Did you do what I told you not to do? And what is this thing you've done? Here's my question. Didn't God already know the answers to those questions? I would think that would go with the whole God on your door sign thing. I mean... Weren't Adam and Eve essentially lying on the couch with their heads under a pillow? And even after they're caught, red-faced, they don't own it. They don't get honest that they were actually hiding. They go right from hiding to blaming. It's a distraction. It's, it's like a red herring argument. Yes, I was guilty. But hey, look at that. Adam blames God. Well, you gave me this woman. You thought her up. She was the only option. There was no swipe right to get her. You know, this is the one I have. Only one walking around. Woman plays the victim card. Says, oh, I was tricked by that snake. Let's go back to the question asked, God asked Adam and Eve. And let me ask you. Have you ever done what God told you not to do? And tried to hide it? And since I asked the question, allow me to answer it for you too. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. And so have I. And if, because we all have... We all know the blame game. You ever tried to blame your sin on the family you grew up in? (laughs) How about this? (laughs) You ever tried to blame your ex-husband or ex-wife? You ever blame God for your sin? I've done that one. Lord, you just made the rules too hard. That's your problem. I mean, you know, I need like a rules for people in the, you know, that aren't as very, really bright. I need one of those kind of rule books for me. How about this? You ever blame society for your sin? Well, the reason this is a sin right now is because society is so narrow-minded. You ever blame the interpretation of Scripture for your sin? Well, someone screwed that interpretation up. You know what I marvel at in the Adam and Eve story? God could have started over, and nobody would ever know. I mean, he could have yanked their leafy behinds out of the bushes after they screwed up, said, well, I messed that first model up. Here comes Adam and Eve 2.0. And we would all got together and said, man, weren't Adam and Eve amazing people? Oh, yes, we're so thankful for them. But they're like version 2.0. Nobody would have ever known, but he didn't and i struggle with that back to playing hide and seek with children do you know what's worse than being a really bad hider in the game of hide and seek when you just like lay on a couch with a pillow over your head or hide behind the curtains what's worse than that is actually being a really good hider and never being found You are playing hide-and-seek with all the kids in the neighborhood, brothers and sisters, and you found a great spot. Hiding under dad's truck. Nowadays, you can't do that, but back then, we could do all kinds of things and had fun. We'd buy each other. We'd buy things like pieces of metal that would heat up so you could burn designs and pieces of wood. I mean, it was amazing. Now you can't do any of that stuff. you got this great hiding spot, and you hear people walking around yelling your name, but now you know the rules, so you don't cry out anymore. You get <coughs> that's my evil laugh, just to let you know that's what that was, a little <laughs> laugh. You stay there, and you're hiding, people going around, oh, I found you, you know, and they call your name out, Tom. But you stay quiet, because you're a good hider. Well, then the sun goes down it's all quiet outside now all you're hearing are crickets and those little peeper frogs and you're hungry so you come out of your hiding and you realize your other kids have gone in the house and they're eating hot dogs and you're still hiding you come in and say hey i was still playing the game they said yeah we don't care maybe that's just something that happened to me and i'll be in therapy for that one day but i mean generally you get the idea See, I would suggest now we've come full circle. Adam and Eve hiding. David, nothing's hidden from you. You know it all. And a room full of people who know what it is to hide. You searched me and you've known me. Most of what you know about me isn't that great, is it, God? This is it. There's no place in me that you don't know. (laughs) I can't hide it from you. Most of it I'm actually ashamed of, and I'd rather stay hidden. And David remembers, you didn't yank me out of the bushes and beat me to a pulp, even though you had plenty of reason to. Those things I was hiding in my 20s and in my teens or my first marriage and the private behavior after everybody's gone to sleep, all those things I've, I've hiding, you didn't yank me out and beat me to a pulp, even though you knew where I was. David said, you remember, I was hiding in a field, and the man of God came to find the next king of Israel, and dad took all my brothers and marched them in front of him, and none of those were the right guys. They looked like Adonis; They were beautiful men. And the man of God says to my dad, hey, have he you got any other kids? And he's like, oh, wait, there's one out there wa- watching the sheep. And you wouldn't let me stay out there. So you came and got me, and you pulled me forward and anointed me to be the next king. One day, I'm Saul's assistant, and I'm supposed to be the next king apparent. And that threatened Saul, and so Saul was chasing me. So I went and hiding in a cave. And Saul comes in that very cave. Who would have thought? And yet you found me, and you end up making me the king of Israel. I had an affair with my best friend's wife. And then had him killed, lied to everybody. I was hiding. And you sent that prophet, you sent Nathan there, not to damn me, but to bring me out of hiding. And so David emotes in Psalm 139 here are my true colors. I'm not proud of them. But they're no surprise to you. Now I want to tell you why I took this particular spin today. Because after 22 verses, David, of opening and asking God to examine his heart and even sharing some of his own darkness the kill and destroy people, David repeats what he said to begin the psalm. He says, end of the psalm. Search me, O God, and know my heart, test me and know my thoughts, see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the same as what we started, but there's one distinction. This time, the search me and know me is in the imperative. This time, it's a command, it's a pleading, it's a desperation. What David is saying is, if you stop looking for me, I'm done. And I will be lost in this forever. If you let me stay hiding, nothing will ever be real. If you let me stay hidden, I will never be fully known and fully loved I will only be loved for the parts that I let people see. Now, I would, I would suggest there are probably three groups of people in this room. And if you're like me, you could find yourself actually in more than one group. Here, here's the first group. There's a group in the room that would say, you know what God has said to be true and yet you choose to do something else. And the way that you're hiding, the way you handle that, is by justifying it, comparing it, or ignoring it. So, so what I'm trying to say is, if there's a level of trust built between the two of us, and we could actually have some real honest, heart-to-heart, brother-to-brother, brother-to-sister conversation, then we would say, yeah, there's this going on. Well, how do you handle that? How do you deal with that? Well, I I justify it, or compare myself to what someone else is doing, or the rest of my life, and I just say, "Well, I'm okay with it. God's gonna be okay with it." There's a second group in the room, and and you're this. You're if there was a pro league for hiding, you would be in it because you're a good hider. You're a good hider. I mean, you can you can do that thing that you want hidden and walk right out of that and right into a whole different and you're so good at it. You're smooth. Such a good hider. Even the people that love you the most don't know you're hiding. And yet there is a piece of you that feels like you're alone in the woods and no one cares and no one's looking for you. They're all inside eating hot dogs. Maybe sometime you've heard a guy like me or a girl like me say, not a girl like me, a guy or a girl who's a pastor say, um, you know, that whole story about the shepherd who leaves 99 and goes find the one. But in your version the shepherd doesn't come looking because you're such a good hider. And then there's probably a third group. And what you find yourself doing is rehearsing what you want to do if you have a guarantee you would never get caught. And there may be a day ahead of you where you'll just take the risk and join one of the other groups. You're to become a really good hider or justify it, compare it, ignore it. What's interesting to me, as I think about the seasons of my life that I float in and out of those groups, is the advice for me is the same advice that God gave to Adam and Eve and the same point that David ends in that psalm. The advice is to take off the camo. It's no longer you have searched and you have known. It's like, oh God, search this, every nook and cranny. Know every part of this. And if there's anything hidden, root it out. Get it out of me. Really, if you're hiding, really, we're just hiding behind the curtain with our legs exposed when it comes to God. The only difference is now we're adults, and where for kids it's cute, for adults, it looks kind of ridiculous. But that's probably what some of us are doing. It's certainly what I've done at different times in my life. I asked uh, this morning if we could all end in all our different worship areas and venues with the same song. Because um, the song has such a powerful meaning. Unfortunately... This song has actually caused quite a bit of controversy, um, and I, I don't think it's fair, but it refers to God's reckless love, and the controversy is people say, well, God's love, God is not reckless in anything, and, and I get that. I, I tend to think of the language as being poetic, but I could use other words that I would use to describe how God loves me that would be probably more offensive Um, I was thinking about how God loves me, and I was thinking it was a long-shot kind of love, even a gambling love if God wasn't like an evangelical who doesn't gamble. But it was a long-shot kind of love where He rolled the dice on me. I don't know what you'd call that. I'd say that's, respectfully, I think that's dumb on your part to take that kind of risk with me. Even though He knew me, my thoughts words God still loved me and it was a high stakes love because he did he did not have any guarantee that I'd actually love him back do you understand and that's why it makes sense that it's reckless to me the author isn't saying god's reckless But the song is saying that the way God loves me is reckless, and that is profoundly true in my life. Because God is utterly unconcerned with the consequences of His own actions when it comes to His love for me and His love for you. God's love bankrupt heaven with His own Son. Sacrificed on the altar of that love. To me, that has to be an uncomfortable word to describe. How often should I keep forgiving Tom, who likes to hide? Uh, Let's try 70 times 7. That's reckless to me. And I would need every stinking one of them. (laughs) God searched me, and He knew me. And he shouldn't, he shouldn't have loved me. Am I alone? Are you with me? He searched me and he knew me. Not like you folks know me. But every nook and cranny, the parts I'm not proud of. And he shouldn't have loved me. He certainly shouldn't have tried to find me and pull me out of hiding. And he shouldn't have done it for you either, but he did. <laughs> to me, that's a beautiful... Reckless kind of love. One simple call today come out of hiding. Take the camel off. Maybe you're praying for a child today, maybe you're praying for a spouse, maybe you're praying about what you should do next. And what you're praying is somebody will find you today and pull you out of hiding. Perhaps you're in one of those groups that I mentioned, and you know what group it is. One of the good news I have to offer from this old boy's heart, is there is a never-ending, overwhelming, reckless love. And it's available to all of us. Ha! That's good news, isn't it? Come on, let's give Jesus a little bit of love. Amen. Oh Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Oh Spirit, pour yourself out in our hearts and lives. Pull us out of hiding, allow us to be free. You already know it all, Lord. And all the confidence, the security, the comfort that comes. From knowing we are fully known and fully loved. So we join our voices with David's. You must search me. You must know me. I can't make it without you. So root it out any wickedness, anything in me that doesn't smell like you, take it out. Come out of hiding in your name. Amen.